Welcome back to the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery, and we have some big news to share this month. The podcast is going through a rebrand. It will no longer be the Montgomery Companies Podcast. Moving forward, this will be the Growth Over Goals Podcast with your host, Jordan Montgomery. So I'll still be the host. We're still going to bring you great guests. We still want to add similar value, if not more value, and provide great content. But we've picked up on a theme over the last 80 plus episodes that each time we interview a guest, the conversation is oriented around growth. And in a world that's so focused on goals and accomplishment, we wanted to put an emphasis on growing and the daily process of getting better one day at a time. Thus, we've come up with the Growth Over Goals podcast and we're excited to bring you new content under the same platform. But if you're searching for this podcast via Spotify or iTunes, uh, make sure that you just type in Growth Over Goals. You'll find us there. If you're currently subscribed to this podcast, it's still going to pop up. You're still going to get the content. You're still going to get the episodes. So no issues there. We're excited to bring you the podcast. The official rebrand will happen on March 13th. All of that said, we're glad you're here. We've got another great guest and we can't wait to let you in on this podcast episode. And today we are with Dr. Henry Cloud via Jason Teagle, Brad Lominick, shout out, connecting the world. Um, Dr. Henry Cloud said yes to us by way of relationship and is going to spend some valuable time, some of his valuable time on the Montgomery Companies podcast. But I want to tell you about my new friend, Dr. Henry Cloud. I'm a, I'm a longtime follower, first time caller. So we're getting to know each other today, but I followed this guy's work uh, closely for many years. And I want to tell you what I've come to learn about Dr. Henry Cloud. Dr. Cloud is a New York Times and Wall Street, uh, Wall Street Journal bestselling author. His books have sold, check this out, nearly 20 million copies. Dr. Cloud's work has been featured and reviewed by the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Boston Globe, Publishers Weekly, Los Angeles Times, and many other publications. Success Magazine named Dr. Cloud in the top 25 most influential leaders in personal growth and development, alongside Oprah, Brene Brown, Seth Godin, and others. He's a frequent contributor to CNN, Fox News Channel, and other national media outlets. And you should know this, in his leadership consulting practice, Dr. Cloud works with CEOs, Fortune 500 companies, and smaller private businesses alike. He has extensive executive coaching background and experience as a leadership consultant, devoting the majority of his work to CEOs, leadership teams, and executives to improving performance, leadership skills, and culture. As a speaker, he shared the stage with Peyton Manning, Condoleezza Rice, President George Bush, Magic Johnson, Jack Welch, and many more. Many of you are familiar with his books, Boundaries, Boundaries for Leaders, Unnecessary Endings, but today he's here to share a conversation on all things leadership. Dr. Cloud, thank you so much for being with us. Great pleasure to be with you and uh, shout out to those those guys as well that, that got us connected. Well, hey man, it's uh, been so fun to follow you and I'm just excited for the time that we get to share today. I know you're going to impact our audience in a major way, but before we go any further, I want to ask you a question, Dr. Cloud, because many people are familiar with your work or they've heard you speak, they've read something that you've written. Um, I want to know this. Tell, tell us one thing that most people would be surprised to know about Dr. Henry Cloud. Well, it might not be a surprise to some people, but it'd probably be I spent prom night in jail. I could say that. 
Is that all you'll tell us about that? Or is there anything more to that story that we get to hear or know about? Well, I think the leadership lesson in that is good to have connections because uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's in between the prom and after prom party and a buddy of mine uh, pulled up next to me on one of the big streets there where I grew up in, uh, in Mississippi. And um, he kind of thought his car was faster than mine. So we got into a little thing and got pulled over for drag racing, which that was a little bit of a uh, aspirational stretch, I think. So anyway, they, they, um, they hauled me into jail, but here's, here's the leadership lessons. If you're going to, if you get thrown into jail, you know, at one in the morning, it's good that your, your date's father is like a city alderman, a council member, because we, we go in before the night judge and he looks at her and says, what are you doing here? So he, we didn't stay there too long, but it's, you know, it's always your network's important. Well, that is that. It's the truth, man. The old adage is not who you, but not what you know, but who you know, right? Your association determines your destination. So um, you never know when you might need help. That's right, man. I've been there, been there. So um, hey, I want to talk about leadership today, uh, and, and I want to incorporate some of your work as I ask you these questions. Um, some of our listeners have read your book, Boundaries. Some have not. Some have read Boundaries for Leaders. Some have not. All of you need to read Boundaries and Boundaries for Leaders if you haven't. Um, I want to ask you about a, a leadership question, and I think yeah. you might respond to this with some content <laughs> from uh, one of your books, but what's the greatest leadership lesson, Dr. Cloud, that you've ever learned? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's a little bit like if you need one thing in life, well, I don't know, you want to pick water, air, or food, which one you want to, you know, there, it's more like there's this kind of handful. Um, but probably, probably it would be this, you know, everybody's always arguing, you know, are leaders born or are they made? And, and like everything we know about human development, it's both, you know, there's certain aptitudes and wiring that people have that other people don't, but you've never met a Tiger Woods as wired as he was that didn't, in his phrase, work it out in the dirt. You know, it's, it's, it's his development that made him what he is and, everybody else that achieves, you know, that kind of greatness. So I think probably, probably the staring one that looks you in the face all the time is that the greatest leaders focus on their development. Mm. You know, they all, if, if you go to the C-suites, you know, you do all the research, Harvard, you know, did years of this and you get to a certain level and they all look alike in terms of IQ, backgrounds, business acumen, you know, brilliance, all of that stuff. But then the ones that get past that, 90% of that delta has to do with who they are as people. Mm. And so that's kind of that's kind of the niche that that you know for decades I've been working. I'm a clinical psychologist by training, but my first job was in a leadership consulting firm. And I thought, you know, there's leadership field, which there is, and that's the science. You know, everybody gets into leadership, not trained for it. They get into it because they're good at something. And then they have to learn this second career of leadership, and there's a science to that. But then they have to go out in this space called reality. And they find who they are as people has to interact not only with themselves, but other wackos as well. So it's, you know, it's a personal 
development of themselves and and really you know a lot of their interpersonal you know the way that those those aptitudes show up and that's the big one i think and, and another interesting thing jordan when i first started doing you know pretty high level uh ceo coaching and consulting i always thought that it was you know if you take my client mix i, I always thought it'd be the ones that were struggling more that i'd hear the most from in between our our you know quarterly meetings or, or whenever we do it and it was exactly the opposite it's the highest performers that reach out the most and they they surround themselves with people that can actually are there for them and they're not stakeholders they're there for them and their development and those are the ones that that really get to another level and they invest time and money into them. Yeah, I think there's that famous John Wooden quote, right? It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. <laughs> and, man, I believe that to be so true. This, this paradox of education, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And I've so much appreciated the, the curiosity that comes from top performers. Yeah, it, it's amazing to me how many people I run into that know everything about whatever we're talking about and they hadn't accomplished much. Yeah. <laughs> and and the ones that you get with that have accomplished incredible things are the most curious to find out the next thing that they don't know. Okay, so, so to, to that end, I want to point something out because we just had a conversation five minutes ago that I want to I want to underscore. We started this conversation and I said, Dr. Cloud, I want to honor your time today. And you responded back, um, sort of a casual way. You said, I'm good on time. I've got some things I'm working on, but I'm, I'm okay. You know, in kind of a cordial, polite way. Like I've got time for this. Um, Bob Goff is that way. Pat Lanchoni is that way. John Gordon is that way. But then you'll get somebody who's written one book and they're, you know, they're um, just kind of understanding leadership and they're kind of on the rise and they'll tell you, Hey, I got a hard stop top of the hour. I got in the next 42 minutes and I got to jump. You know, it's that same sort of spirit of, of, I've got it figured out. I don't have time. Um, and yet I think there, I think there's this humility in you and, so, and some of the other people we get to interview who've accomplished so much, but yet you're so eager to learn. Probably a great segue to my next question. What, what do you feel like you're learning now with where God has you, Dr. Cloud? I mean, what, what are you learning about in your leadership journey these days? Well, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> you know, I always say, even though I write books, people say, you know, so how did you become an author? And I go, I'm really not an author. I'm a practitioner. And I spend 100 days a year in the war rooms with CEOs and their teams. And, and to me, um, the work writes the books. You know, it's, it's the reality of, of, of the quandaries. And probably... Probably right now, I've been a little bit surprised because I'm immersed in it, um, because I finally, um, the topic of trust um, is, you know, when I get called into stuff at some level, there's got to be some sort of step in trust or, or withholding trust. Leaders' biggest mistakes are sometimes not having the right algorithm to know who to trust and for what reason. And so I've been, been working in that for a long time. And in the last year, I, I 
uh, finish a book on it. It'll be out in a couple of weeks. I, I, well, I don't know when this airs, but but it's the I've been learning more and more about the nuances of of the mistakes that leaders make in in trust. And and you know, leaders are drivers. I mean, you don't get from here to there without driving something, right? And one of the things they do is a lot of times they're trying to first step is trying to persuade people. And that's not how the neurobiology of trust works. You know, people don't move towards you and open up and invest. You know, trust feels investment. And it doesn't start with your convincing them of the product or the vision or to join you or to invest or come work for you or whatever. It doesn't start there. If they don't feel like you understand what they actually need, what scares them, what's at risk, what's going to make them succeed, what makes them happy, what hurts them. And that's, we're biologically and neurologically wired. Our whole system, your customers, your teams, everybody is 24-7 all the way down their spinal column. There's a system that's asking one question about you. Am I safe? And that is such a nuanced dynamic. And people begin to feel safe first when they're understood. And, and the great leaders do that better than anybody. So we're getting a preview of your new book, which comes out, by the way, March 28th. So we're recording this early March. Book will be out March 28th. Um, I want to, if, if you're willing to tell us, I, I'd, I'd like to kind of have a preview of the book here. What are, what are some of the things that you think leaders do that get in the way of creating or establishing trust? And then I want to ask you, what do leaders do in, in your line of work with all the work that you've done when you evaluate top leaders who do this well? What are they doing to establish and create trust? One of the things that gets in the way is, you know, if you take, if you do the, you know, Letterman interview on the street or Jimmy Fallon, you know, the, how they walk on the sidewalk, go, what's the capital of the U.S.? And somebody goes, Boise, you know, if they ask that question, um, most people will say, well, they trust somebody, you know, if they have integrity, right? They don't lie, cheat or steal. What they tell you, you can, you can really believe. Well, there's a lot of people with integrity you can trust them to not lie to you, but you're about to trust things of incredible value that require many more capacities than just somebody. There's a lot of people who want to lie to you, but you don't want to work with them again. And are you want to hire them again? And so what I tried to do in this book and, and just, you know, the work in trust was kind of, reduce it to a usable algorithm and a little bit of a, a map or a model that leaders and companies and teams, even in your branding, can kind of check off. You know, there's some components that you just got to hit these areas. And if you don't, and it's easy to mess up by just hitting one or two of them and make huge mistakes. I mean, it takes a long time to undo a bad hire. It just takes a long time to do that. And we have a lot of false positives, you know, because somebody's charming and they're smart and, 
you know, their background or whatever, but the context for which you're trusting them for, that shouldn't be a move you make if you know what to look for. So I think it's, it's you know, our heart can always go forward quickly. You're wired to trust. You got oxytocin floating through your head. You like somebody and you fall in love. You know, it's like, they can do this. But your brain's got to be hooked up to your heart. And sometimes it's the opposite, Jordan. You know, sometimes people have been burned and they get false negatives because they're afraid, you know, to, well, I tried the VCs or the private equity route and I don't know, investors are going to, they're just going to take too much control. And and they've been burned once and now they're maybe afraid to take some steps that would prove to incredible scalability, mm. but it's their own trust muscle that's broke. Mm. So we can make mistakes in either direction. So good. Um, I want to, I want to transition to boundaries because this is, I mean, you, you do so much work on the topic of boundaries, but I want to talk about it in the context of trust. You say that good relationships um, relationships where love exists or, or, or relationships where we can say no. You know, if there's if trust exists in a relationship, we love people, uh, we can say no and it's it's still okay, um, which is ultimately a, a control issue, I think, right? I mean, we we really don't appreciate, somebody tells us no, we don't like that. There's We desire control. Uh, Craig Rochelle says it this way. He says, trust is given, mistrust is earned. I've always liked that. You know, if you work for me, I'm going to, I'm going to choose to trust you first. I did my due diligence. You know, we selected you, we did our homework, we spent the adequate amount of time. Um, therefore I'm going to, I'm going to trust you. Um, do, first off, do you agree with that? Dr. Cloud or, or how do you, how do you view that type of a mantra? Say it again. Trust, trust is, is, trust is given. Mistrust, yeah. mistrust is earned. I would kind of marry him a little bit. Certainly trust is given. It is something we actively have to do. And I'd agree with that, that Craig's right on that. And people, you know, with how true that is, actually what we know from the neuroscience of this is when you give trust, you actually get more, unless you're getting kind, you know, you get more performance back because it's a neurological dyad that happens. And so when we trust somebody, they perform better. You know, there's a lot of reasons for that. They, you're not trying to control them, et cetera. But I would also say, you know, and mistrust is certain, certainly earned, but trust is earned also. And then I think we can have an initial trust based on reasons that we're doing that. But one of my, you know, I come from a, a faith world as well, and, and, and there's a passage that says, to he who has been faithful and then little, more will be given. And so I don't think trust is a toggle switch. We trust somebody or we don't. You trust them in small steps, and as they're faithful in that and perform in that and deliver what you need to be delivered, then we trust more. And so trust is earned as well. And it's, a, it's kind of a continuum of a dance. And we've all seen people just turn over big things to people immediately when, you know, Jim Collins said a long time ago in terms of, you know, when you're building your business, I think the phrase he used was fire bullets, not cannonballs. You know, don't take your whole arsenal and throw it at a good idea. 
What you do is you fire bullets, and when something hits, then you you know we're getting closer to bigger, bigger investments. That's what the smart it's what the smart private equity firms do. You know that you'll see second round, third round, fourth round, and many times that's because whoa, this thing is working. We need to pour more in it, so it is earned as well. Yeah, that's well said. And I think to Craig's point. But, but I think that I, I would emphasize, you know, what Craig said there, because because if people feel like you have an initial orientation towards them, that your desire is to trust and and just beginning the conversation, you know, that I'm even considering what we're talking about, that in itself is an initial giving of trust. But we need to build on it. Yeah, I, I, I think Craig's point is we want to do some work on the front end, which mirrors what you're saying, right? Of giving people exactly. small tasks, you're going to trust them with a little, but also acknowledge, hey, we, we've done our you know, work. Look at, if you look at Craig's work, I mean, what, what he and Bobby have done and, and others, um, that he is a great example of extending trust to the right people. Well said. And let, and let them run with it. Well said. And I think that gets missed a lot of times in, in, a, in a mantra like trust is given, mistrust is earned, but not without firm expectations, a lot of communication, and a great deal of due diligence. Here's one area where so many and, leaders. And I would also add to make sure your own trust diagnostics in your head are working properly. Yeah, <laughs> correct. I mean, well you can hit the throttle on an airplane, you're trusted. <laughs> You're trusting your altimeter, but if that thing's not working right, you can fly into a mount. Well said. Yeah, so well said. Well, you're going to bless a lot of people uh, with your work around trust, and you already have, and excited to dig in. March 28th. Um, I've, I've taken so much from your work, Dr. Cloud, on this topic of boundaries, knowing when to say no, how to say no. One thing that has so many leaders sideways that we coach with is this inability to say no, you know, inability to set boundaries. And by the way, you've got a book out, Boundaries for Leaders. Let's speak specifically to the leader today who's managing a team. You know, they have people pulling on them and there's only so much time in a day. They're trying to manage their energy and their time. Um, speak yeah. to us about some of the principles you really believe in as, as it relates to setting boundaries and using this super important word, no. You know, it's often been said in terms of strategy, the most important word in a strategy is the word no. Because if somebody's got a strategy and you've decided, you know, to me, strategy answers the question, how are we going to win? And when people are clear on this is how we're going to win, have they decided, is it going to be through acquisitions? Is it going to be through... We're not going to acquire anything. We're going to grow our own, our own customers and market. Is it going to be through whatever your strategy is that leaders can get really attracted to the next shiny object or the next shiny idea or whatever. And a lot of times the biggest key there is saying no to great ideas because it drains the focus on what you've spent a long time developing. This is how we're going to win. Now, if after time you learn you can't trust that strategy because the results are telling you, then you got to say no to the strategy. 
And sometimes you have to shift. But but if if you say if everything's important, nothing is. And so no is a key word to that to the staying, you know, focused on that. Another big aspect of no, and I talked a lot about this in Boundaries for Leaders, is it's really important for leaders to lead people in ways that their brains can actually follow them. Now, that's a really, really important thing to think about because the, the prefrontal cortex that actually delivers all the stuff that you have hired people to deliver, creativity, problem solving, innovation, judgment calls, allocation of resources at the right times for the right reasons. Those live in a part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And, and that's really about something we call focused attention. And, and in that book, I talk a lot about a leader's job is to create the boundaries of focused attention because here's what the brain does. It, it has to attend to what is relevant. It has to inhibit everything else. And thirdly, it's got to keep a working memory in front of it to keep doing that. And so when leaders can't say no to everything that's pulling everybody in the last email and, you know, they'll go on an offsite and say, this is what these are the three things we're going to focus on this quarter. And then the next day they're emailing people with as much noise and drama about 46 other things. Well, they just confuse their brains. I mean, what do you want your kid to do? <laughs> you know, if it's time you're ready for school, there's a few things that are important. And no is a huge word, and people get so freed up when a leader empowers them mm. to say no <clears throat> to everything that needs to be inhibited from, from the team's attention, from their attention, when they're, they're just the clarity. I can't tell you how many executive teams I've gone into. And, and these are, big, I mean, these might be public companies. You have seven, eight people around the table. I'll give them three by five cards and, and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down what your role is and what you actually, what this team depends on you to deliver from that chair that, that they need. And I'll collect them. <clears throat> and many times how they define their role and how other people define what they need from that chair it's 46 different descriptions. So the boundaries of just being able to clearly know <clears throat> what am I supposed to be doing? Another, they'll step into somebody else's yard on the team me, and confuse all their people because everybody sits on the, on the executive team. Well, if you go over into marketing and, and you know, you're in finance or IT or whatever, and you, you, know, you have a meeting with these people, cross-functional stuff happens all the time. And they're going, oh, crap. But I mean, my boss said I got But now, I mean, he's on the executive team or she's and now they're really confused. So clarity of boundaries in leadership is huge. And another big boundary for leaders is you are the steward over the emotional climate mm. that happens in that company and it happens on those teams. And what we know is if it's not the right kind of emotional climate and you're not clearly setting boundaries on anything that, that brings toxicity and division 
and confusion into that, then then the team is running on half its cylinders. And and a leader, a leader is responsible for that. I I, I think um, one of the main main mantras I put in that book was a leader gets what they create or what they tolerate. And that's so all about good. your boundaries. You're going to get what you, you know, if you've got morale problems, you got performance problems, you're either creating that or you're allowing it to exist on your watch. <clears throat> that, that's a boundary for leaders issue. A leader either gets what they create or tolerate. Yeah. That's a, that's a pull the car over if you're driving down the road and write it down kind of moment, um, kind of quote. That one can be up on every boardroom in America. And um, the worst thing you can do, Jordan, is start to feel like a victim. And I hear this all the time. It's like, well, my team and this and, you know, that. Yeah. Well, then stop. Stop tolerating that. Right. You know, go set some limits on that cancer. Your right. job is the steward to not let this stuff metastasize. So good. I think of that famous story. I want to ask you about some of your learnings from your own experience, Dr. Cloud, because clearly you believe so firmly in this idea of saying no and having really clear boundaries. And I think about the, the Steve Jobs example. You know, he gets rehired as the CEO at, at Apple, and there's 390 funded initiatives. And he says, <laughs> we're going to get rid of all this, and we're just going to do these 10 things, and that's it. And as a result, you know, Apple yeah. becomes one of the top yeah. companies in the world. You, you know what he did once or in the beginning, you know, because he had been fired. And he That's was gone right. for That's right. yep. years and did a bunch of other stuff. And he said, <clears throat> he comes back and there's 40 something versions of the Mac. All these different models, all these different initiatives. And somebody's got a right idea. Like you're saying, they go get funded and he comes back in and he says, look, if my nephew wants to buy one, which one do I tell him to buy? And then he said something really key, and he, he, he apparently went in a room and screamed to everybody, and he got a whiteboard, and he drew a, a box. And across the top, he wrote two things. There's, and he said there's only two things that are important. One is, is this computer going to be primarily used for personal use or business use? And he drew a line down the box and divided it into two columns. And he said, the second important thing is, is it going to sit on a desk or are they take it with them? And he drew a line across. He says, we're going to make four computers, business, desktops, personal desktops, Bus <laughs> business, portable, personal. And you go into a Mac store today, that's what you find. There's different sizes and shapes. Yeah. But he knew what was important. It's clarity. Okay, so Clarity. we want to respect your time, but we also want to glean as much wisdom as possible. Somebody sitting here listening to this, Dr. Cloud, and they're thinking, well, I just don't know where to start. And obviously, they go read the book, Boundaries or Boundaries for Leaders. But where would you tell some, somebody, a young leader who's trying to work on setting tighter boundaries, where do they start? What are some of the practical steps that they could take to begin to use the word no and have clear boundaries in how they operate? Well, I always like to... Um start with a combination of, you know, I wrote about it, um, it in my book, Necessary Endings. I wrote about the importance of pruning 
And one of the things the leaders got to do all the time is make sure that they're pruning the stuff that isn't the best, right? And they're also pruning the stuff that's problematic. But I, I filmed an episode of, of Leadership University that I do um, on pruning. And I flew to Tuscany with the world's greatest winemaker. He won the best wine in the world three times to ask him about the science of pruning. And he walked me through the vineyards. He said, but before we talk about the science of pruning and what you got to cut out, you've got, and this is coming from a vineyard owner. He goes, it starts with the vision of what you want the vineyard to be and what you want the grape to look like and what you're actually trying to get to. And then you prune, you don't prune going to start cutting stuff. What you prune towards a vision. What exists today that doesn't fit the tomorrow that I'm trying to build? It's good. And so we look at it that way. When you say, what are the a young leader, what supported boundaries? You've got to start with being really clear about what the heck am I trying to build here? What do I want it to look like, feel like? And all of you just got to be clear about where you're going. And then I want to drop them down to the bottom line of it and ask, so where are the pain points and what exists today that doesn't fit that? That's where you start saying no. And then that takes you into one hellacious corner. And that is you start to figure that out, then you got to go out there and do it. So now, you got to have the stomach and the support to walk in and setting boundaries that people aren't going to like because you may be cutting their key project. Mm. Think about this, Jordan. Why did it take a bankruptcy judge? General Motors goes into bankruptcy and it takes a bankruptcy judge to shut down Pontiac. And this is a brand, you got the smartest executives in the world. This is a brand that hadn't turned a profit in 40 years. And the judge looks there and goes, why are you doing this? Well, I'll tell you why they're doing it. Because people loved that product and they were tied to yesterday. And this is the way, no, this was the GTO. And, and everybody's emotions involved in this. And there, there's relationships involved. And the leader's got to have the stomach to say, let's have a party and celebrate its success but let's take the time and resources and money that we're putting there and let's put them on where we need to go. And that's that, that's that, that's that dynamic tension between, between the aspirational tomorrow and what exists today that's sucking fuel from that. So good. Love everything that you just shared. And uh, you know, we always have a few minute clip from every episode and that was it. I mean, just so much gold in what you shared. It's something that's so universally helpful and relevant. What the, what the hardest part of that is a lot of times, it's, it's the personal relationships mm. that get involved of somebody that you love and brought on and developed and invested in, and you got to say no to them. And it may be no to what they're doing. Their, their role has outgrown them or they're not property cast or, you know, whatever, whatever they want to love you to go fund. And sometimes, honestly, I mean, it's that person doesn't belong there. 
And it may be for performance problems. It may be because they're divisive on a team. They may be they got their foot on the brake when you're trying to have yours on the accelerator. The personal relationships involved in this, I've sat with leaders, high-powered leaders, and my biggest job is to get them to have that conversation. And every single time, after they pull the tooth, they always come back and say, why did I wait so long? Why did I wait? And why I tell you why I wait so long, because you love the person. Right. You know, it's tough. It's not easy. This stuff is not easy. Yeah, it isn't easy. And I don't think we're <clears throat> wired for disappointment intention you know i think we're wired for the path to least resistance which is keeping the peace and trying to have some dishonest harmony which we all know doesn't lead toward <laughs> prosperity and productivity so um listen we want to honor your time dr cloud you've been so generous with us uh i've got three pages of notes what's what's next for you i know you have you got the new book coming out march 28th um what else are you working on what's next for dr cloud well, I've got a big emphasis around trust right now. And so I'm kind of uh, trying to figure out the, uh, you know, it's interesting when you work with, with companies like I do, it's always trying to, you know, it's back to focus, right? Um, there's so much value in, in getting a leader and the right people in the room on smaller smaller offsites but also the big groups sometimes the whole company has to be has to know what they need to know to do all this and so kind of what's next for me is kind of allocating the focus of of how much to give each of those columns i think it's a tough deal and, and my my biggest problem honestly is you know i i, I do a lot of hands-on consulting and coaching, but that develops content and developing content. I'm kind of a, a nerd, you know, I spend all of my reading time. People say, have you read this great, whatever novel or I go, no, I was reading about um, breakdowns in the neurotransmitters, what happens in conflicts. <laughs> A journal of neuroscience. <laughs> You've read of, that, haven't you? I mean, of course. <laughs> I love the nerdy stuff because that's where it needs to be applied. So I like to take, I like to take all that and develop into content. And and then third, third area is delivering it. You know, in podcasts and speaking. So what's next for me is trying to. It's always about what fits the season, hmm. and um, that's kind of what I'm whittling away at right now. Well, I commend you on, and, and I think about you in this way, Dr. Cloud, because I think everybody's got kind of a superpower. And everybody on everybody we interview you go, wow, this person are really good at this. This is, and, and of course, it's setting boundaries and work on trust and leadership in general. Is, but I sense that you just have a great deal of clarity with how you live, how you operate, how you communicate. Uh, and I think you've probably had to work at that but I just commend you on your clarity. I think you are bringing wow. clarity to the you, world. You are not, I'd say people have had to work me over on that. You know? <laughs> well, it goes we both all, ways, I'm sure. We all get formed. Um, I've been so fortunate over, you know, decades now of, of having incredible mentors. That, you put that together 
with actually gaining a lot of miles. You know, there's no way to learn stuff. You're not going to be a great golfer watching Rory play. It's going to really help, but you got to get out there and learn. And I don't, I don't think I have any superpowers except a pot's been cooking for a long time of great input from people, but also sitting on the stove and developing it. And that's what I tell people that, that you got to be formed by people and you're also going to be formed by experiences. And some people will focus on one or the other. They'll go to all the leadership things in the world, which you need to do and learn. But you got to get out there and screw it up. You got to get out there and try, and you got to then go back and let them form you on getting it better. So that's how superpowers get developed. Man, that's so good and so true. Dr. Cloud, you are a speaker, author, thought leader, coach, um, person of faith. And uh, you just dropped so much wisdom on us today. Is there anything you want to leave us with before we sign off today? Well, first thought that came to mind was because I'm just coming off the road. I've been on the road for two weeks doing offsites um, with companies. And the first thing that comes to mind is I just want to encourage some leaders out there that you might be, because this is what I have heard over the last couple of weeks and it's front and center. You might be surprised right now at how hard it is. Because <laughs> you got such a great idea. You got such a great opportunity. And you launch into it. And I'm thinking right now of the people that, that are discouraged because it's, they've hit a bump or they've hit an obstacle. And in each one of these situations I've been in, there's a combination in the room of people that are at that moment and it's normal to doubt yourself and it's normal to doubt the idea. But in that room also, I, I, one offsite I just, just came from, the CEO was going over the last 10 years and how they had incredible growth. And then they had a regulator, kind of federal regulator come in and, and just hate their product and basically made it unusable and they had to shift. Mm. And he was talking about how, look, that's what we do. So if it's all not going smoothly, then talk to Mr. Honda, whose factory burned down right after he started world war two started, he ran out of metal and had to go collect, you know, aluminum cans (laughs) or airplane parts to build stuff. And I just want to encourage the ones that are discouraged right now, get the right people around you. And they're not going to be surprised that you've hit a bump, but get the right people around you to coach you through it. So that's that's because they've been there. Anybody worth listening yeah. to is going to first thing they're going to say, is, well, everybody's made that mistake. Yeah. <laughs> amen. Well, I just highlight, you know, my friend John Maxwell says uh, people say adversity builds character. And he says, I don't think that's true. I think the way that sentence goes is adversity builds character if you allow it to. So I think it's a choice. I think it's a choice. And I think you're helping people with that choice. And I appreciate your encouragement. So, Well, it's a big – Yeah. 
It's a big deal. Yeah, Character. it is. It, there's an interesting word in the Greek uh, for trials and suffering. And that particular word, it's actually in the context of a passage. It says, in your trials and suffering, it builds, it builds character and character, perseverance and character, and that builds hope. But that Greek word, it actually means a trial from which there's no escape. Mm. Now think of like a market condition. You can't change the economy right now. So you can't escape it. We're the ones that have to grow in that and change to be able so to meet good. the demand of that reality. And a lot of times we want things to change that are outside of our control. But the great leaders take control of what they can control, and that's themselves and what they have control of. And they grow and build the character of what's going on there. And then they change the markets eventually that way. So good. Spot on. Well, listen, you reaffirmed everything that we know about leadership, taught us some new things too, and invested uh, an hour with our community that we so much love and appreciate. So um, we're going to be following you, Dr. Cloud. Can't wait for March 28th. Um, In fact, we're probably dropping this episode just a few days before. So. We'll tag uh, your social media links and uh, link to your new book in the show notes. And we're going to be cheering you on um, from, a, from afar and just want to say thank you again for who you are. Thanks for what you stand for. Thank you for investing your valuable time in our community. Well, thanks for what you do. Come alongside leaders. And, you know, we're all in this big party together. And so we got to join arms and get to the next step. Amen. Well, God bless. Be well. So so good to share this conversation with you today, Dr. Thanks, Cloud. Thanks for being here. You too. It's been a pleasure. This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks also to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope you've done that today. Be well, be great, have a wonderful day.